Mindfulness Mode 434. When we're pursuing something, the hungriest person on the ice or field or in the boardroom wins. Hey, welcome. Here's where you can reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks again for completing my survey about the the mindfulness group I'm putting together, Mindful Tribe. I'm very excited and I'm sending out Mindfulness Mode t-shirts to some of my survey participants. Thank you so much. The survey is still up, by the way, at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash survey. Go there and fill it out if you haven't done it already. By the way, I'm excited about how plans for the group are really shaping up now. It's going to be a virtual mindfulness retreat, and it's going to be called the Mindful Tribe Retreat. Every month, we'll go to a different virtual location. We'll do mindfulness activities. We'll give each other accountability. We'll just hang out together and be with like-minded mindfulness people. So I will be uh, filling you in with more information about how you can sign up for that. So that's exciting. On another topic, do you ever have trouble falling asleep? You can download my free Sleep Naturally meditation to get to sleep easily. Go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash sleep. You may have heard me talk about the bullying prevention work I do. When I first started and I was creating musical programs to present to students, I knew that the presentations would need to be catchy and action-packed. And... So I racked my brain, thought about all different kinds of ideas I could do, and I thought of this idea. I thought, you know what, I'm going to create an alter ego for myself. I'm going to become a zany, kind of crazy, off-the-wall kind of radio DJ named Benny D.L., Well, I named him that because of my son. That's his name, Benjamin David Langford. And I was the DJ of radio station ATFM. And we did on-location shows at schools on the topic of bullying and respect and cyberbullying. The alter ego idea was a huge success. Now, skip ahead to today. I'm featuring a guest who teaches high-performance athletes and business people and others to use this same alter ego approach in order to up their game. He's written a book called The Alter Ego Effect, and I was completely fascinated with him because, you know, I don't know where I got this idea. I just thought of doing it way back a number of years ago, and now he's written a book about it. And then I met him personally in Toronto at a speaking event. This was really awesome to meet him in person. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this fascinating interview with the amazing Todd Herman. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have Todd Herman with me today. Hey, Todd, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am right now, definitely. (laughs) That's good. Todd, I always like to start with this question. What does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness means to me that you are taking personal responsibility for the way that you're showing up and you know that you're the, the master of your own domain mentally and emotionally, and you're being very intentional with the way that you want to own that moment. 
for over 20 years, you've been a high performance coach and you finally come out with this awesome book, The Alter Ego. I can see it behind you. I have it here. It was a terrific book to read. I couldn't put it down and I just loved every chapter. How mindful did you have to be to put all of yourself into this book, all of your thoughts, your coaching, your strategies? Mm -hmm. What kind of mindfulness did it take? Well, I would say that was easily probably the most challenging thing I've done professionally, other than maybe starting the actual business when I was very young. But when you've got something that you have been a very well known for in the professional sports world, Olympic sports world, and kind of public figure, like in in certain uh, worlds, you know, that's been your secret sauce for a long time. And you've been using it for 15, 16 years, and people have been asking you a writer for 14 years. You know, I, there was a lot of expectation around what that needed to look like because A, like I say in the book, I didn't invent alter egos. They've been around, well, they've been around forever because they're built into the human psyche. It's what we naturally use when we ask ourselves the question, you know, what would so-and-so do? That's us trying to disassociate ourselves from what we think we can and can't do with our current identity. And we wonder, well, what could we do if, and the danger that most adults would go and do is they would dismiss it away as something that, oh, I, I did that as a kid, maybe you don't necessarily think that thought, but you dismiss it. And then you got to get into just, well, I need to willpower it. And that's the big dangerous, uh, or that's the, the misconception. The creative imagination trumps willpower 100% of the time. Willpower is actually a very weak way to live your life. And yet it's been one of the most common tools that has been trotted out in the leadership and personal development world for a very long time. And it's a sign to me that the people who've you know, bring that out, haven't actually been working with people one-on-one. I'm a practitioner, Bruce. Like I work with people one-on-one. I know you work with people one-on-one. When you're working with people one-on-one at the, you know, the top 1% of a category of area, whether it's business or whether it's sport, you see what people actually are doing or what they've actually done in order to get there. And I would say that a large chunk of the stuff that has been thrown at the, you know, general market as paradigms to live through are really traps. They're handcuffs. They actually don't help you. Um, and they're the exact opposite of what people who are, you know, operating at peak levels actually do. And, you know, th- those that do, they, they tap into their creative imagination consistently in order to make it happen. Well, and I love how you shared so much of this at the talk in Toronto. I was at Mm -hmm. the Archangel talk. That was really terrific. In your book, you talk about a coaching session. You don't just talk about, you share a lot of the coaching session with the hockey player named Matt Mm -hmm. that you met in Manhattan. And he talked about how pissed off he was. And then you led him through that anger and told him what to do with it. Can you expand on that a little bit? It was just great how you shared that in the book. Yeah. So, you know, a part of the way that my sports business works is a, I never share who I work with. Uh, so, you know, and when you think about the nature of the, the professional athletics world, they've got nothing but people around them who want something from them or they want to trade on the back of their name. And right. for the 16 years that I've been working for, so I've had my business for 22, but I didn't work with pros until about six years in. Cause really I wasn't ready and I wasn't, you know, I had to, I had to, you know, develop my chops kind of thing. And, uh, but I committed early on from the suggestion of one of my mentors who was the biggest name in the mental game world, Harvey Dorfman. And, uh, and he saw what was coming and what was happening, which was everyone was, uh, the, the pervasiveness of a, the media 
and how these people had nowhere to kind of hide anymore. And then they had no one to trust. And so in order for us to do the work that we do to crawl around in the six inches between the ears, we need high levels of trust. So I made the commitment very early on that I would never share who I worked with no matter what. If they ended up doing it, that was on them but it's not me. And so people only get to me through referral. You have to know someone who's a client or a past client in order to get to me. It allows me to work with a certain quality of individual. Anyways, Matt and I, when I, when I work with people one-on-one and they happen to be coming into New York, I always do what I call a walk and talk session with them because uh, instead of sitting down just cognitively, there's a powerful, it's a powerful approach when you're moving and you're taking a walk, just, you know, things come out way easier. And uh, it also sends a signal to the mind that there's momentum that's happening. Momentum is really key in helping people build confidence because confidence comes after momentum. It doesn't start before that. Anyways, Matt and I are walking down the Hudson River. I'm I'm pointing out my window right now as if (laughs) people can see, but (laughs) out out there is actually the Hudson River. I'm here in New York City. And uh, anyways, we're walking down the Hudson River and he was you know, just challenged a little bit by the fact that he was under indexing. He wasn't performing to what he knew was it were his capabilities, which meant to me that there was obviously a bunch of resistance that was going on behind the scenes, concerns about, you know, what his role was on the team, concerns about what other people are going to think of him. He was a younger player, so he was new to the league as well. So we sat down and I said, I just asked him a question like, you know, um, well, you know, what's your great pursuit? Like, what's the big win waiting for you in, in the NHL, like in your career? And, uh, and he said how he really wanted to be able to bring a Stanley Cup home to his small little podunk town in basically the, the Midwest. And I was asking him more about like, well, why is that so important? And, you know, no one from his town kind of has achieved very much. And I was, and I said to him, meh, that sounds really cliche. I'll be honest, like this, like, come on, give me the actual reason. Don't give me some cliche. You know, I'm, I'm not the guy to kind of try to throw smoke and mirrors at. And basically what I was doing from a coaching side of things, what I was doing was I was, um, I was challenging him on, on something that I actually knew was something that was a, but I didn't hear the emotion behind it. And I wanted to hear emotion because when, when we're pursuing something, the hungriest person on the ice or field, or in the boardroom, wins. That's who wins. I want hungry. I don't want someone who's maybe got an appetite. No, I want hungry. And so I wanted to challenge him on it. So I wanted to call, basically I said bullshit. And, uh, and that's actually the term that I use. I said bullshit. That isn't what you really want. And, and then he got very upset and he was like, what are you talking about? You know, you know, Jason, you know, the person that referred him over to me, he's like, Jason said that you were someone that was such a huge supporter. And, you know, I don't know why you would make fun of me. And, you know, what I think is something that's really important to me and and all that. And he was like getting all fired up and we were sitting next to, now we were actually sitting next to each other on this bench. And I said that, that's what I want to see. That's the fire that you need to be bringing out onto that ice every day. Not the little, not the little baby bullshit that you are right now. Like you better start to sack up, buddy. Because you're playing in the big time. This ain't the juniors. This ain't college. You know, you're playing with the big kids now. And so every single night, there's guys that are out there who are playing with a way bigger fire than you. Because don't forget, while you think you come from some podunk town, there's another kid who came from a real podunk town in the Czech Republic or Slovakia. And their background is a lot, you know, less uh, desirable than yours is. 
So, you know, it's time to level up kind of thing. So anyway, finding that fire is a big part of, you know, the, the work I talk about in the alter ego factor and just the work that it takes. You know, there's a lot of people who are out there right now. They, they like to talk like they've got big dreams. They share lots of great quotes on Instagram and Facebook about, you know, the people that they admire. But I sit back and I'm like, you know, come on, gang, that sharing that stuff is not the stuff that's going to help get you there. Like, right. you, you, you need to either own it or stay on the sidelines. So, yeah. Yeah. I love the terminology you use in your book all through. You start talking about your ordinary world and your extraordinary world. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, you know, in order to kind of bring the concept across to people, I'm dyslexic. So I think in models, I think in pictures in my own mind. And it's it's actually been the thing, thankfully, that has become my great superpower. So early on, I thought it was the, the anchor, but then I switched my own mindset with it. And I realized just the great gift that it's given me. And, and so I, I say that because when I'm, you know, training and teaching and coaching, I like giving people a, a picture because the moment you can kind of create shape for people, then that you've got something more tangible they can work with. So I talk about in the book, how, you know, there's really, when you think of how our lives work, we live in a world of duality, right? There's up, down, inside, outside, hot, cold. Well, in the way that we end up showing up in the world, there's an ordinary world for people and there's an extraordinary world for people. And uh, the ordinary world uh, is a space that we end up being pulled into or we retreat into for comfort and safety. And I call it an ordinary world because it's like grayscale. It's not colorful. It's not lively. Tastes like pablum and oatmeal. And I think the way that most or many people end up showing up because they're so concerned of what other people think of them and the judgment of others and the criticism and the hanging on to trauma and old hurts or narratives of who they think they are and what they can do. And no one from my family has ever been an entrepreneur. So, you know, why would I, or I don't have the skill set yet. So I guess I'm just gonna have to stick with having this type of business. And all that stuff is just chatter that what I call the enemy likes to use to pull you away from the edge of your comfort zone where there's going to be some breakthrough and pulls you back into safety. And that's the ordinary world for people. It's an experience that just, you know, doesn't necessarily light you up and doesn't feel all that great. And then conversely, there's the extraordinary world. The extraordinary world is with, has, has no less challenges and obstacles. The terrain is the exact same. There's no change in the terrain, but it's the way that you approach it. The ordinary world, you're affected so much by an outside-in approach. It's that you're, you're, a lot of your decisions that you make and the, um, the moves that you make are affected by the outside. Who's going to be there? Um, the circumstances that you're in, who you think you're going to go and impress. And it's an outside-in and it ends up trapping you because you know that that's not actually, you're not showing up like you know that you can, but you blame it or you're concerned about something else that's outside of you. It's where you live. It's, you know, the education that you do or don't have. It's the people that you do or don't know in order to help get you there. Whereas the extraordinary world flips it. And now you'd operate from an inside out approach. It's you deciding who's going to show up out there. And that's now trading intention for how you're going to act. You're going to use intention. It's the power of what you've decided that you're, you're now creating the result. You're not waiting for it to get created for you. And, um, and that's one of the really powerful paradigms that I try to hammer through to people is, is that, you know, when you start acting with far more intention about 
how you want to be showing up and what you want to be showing up with, despite whoever is standing there on that field that you might be talking to or working with or dealing with, whatever the case is. And no matter what they think, say, or do, you're still going to continue to operate in a very principled way, operating from an inside out. That's an extraordinary world because when you end the day, the experience is different. I call it the head on the pillow effect. In the ordinary world, the head on the head hits the pillow. And, you know, if you didn't say the things that you wanted to say or speak up or close the sale or whatever the case might be, despite the fact that you knew that you had the capacity to do it, you beat yourself up. That's an ordinary world. That's how I know that you're operating in an ordinary world. Right. Conversely, extraordinary world. You end up saying the thing that you wanted to say. You end up offering the proposal to the person to, to make the sale. You end up speaking your mind. You end up doing the presentation and showing up how you want to show up. And whether or not the result gets what you uh, is the result that you, you get, you know that you showed up. That's process driven now. That's performance driven now, right? You know, there's so much crap that I hear from people who pull these little quotes out of the sports world all the time talking about outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. That's exactly how I know that these people aren't actually working with the highest level people because the highest level people are focused on practice and process, practice and process, practice and process. Because I know that when I focus on that and I do the work and I own my time, my space, my energy, my mindfulness, whatever the case is, but when I own whatever I can own, I'm really freaking hard to beat. And Todd, I think that's what made your book different from all those other books out there. Mm -hmm. It's not about fluff. It's not about just stories, feel good stories. I mean, you have a great way of telling stories, but then you dig right in and you share the concept and how to do it. I mean, there's just so much real solid content there. I loved your field of play model that you explained. That was amazing. Yeah, well, and, and that's kind of where the ordinary world, extraordinary right. world is all coming together, like we were just unpacking yes. with people. Yes. And, and yeah, I talk about the, the just the different layers because, you know, just for the listener right now, if you're trying to make change happen in your organization or you're trying to make change happen with someone else that's in your life right now that's important to you and you're challenged by it or you're making, and again, not to forget the other person, you, if you're trying to make change happen for you, never forget this. This should be written on what I think is everyone's chalkboard, whiteboard, or on their computer, or on their iPad, or whatever the case is. This one thing. Human beings will always act through whatever they associate themselves with. Whether that, and that includes the story that they tell themselves, the beliefs that they have, you know, what group they're a part of. You know, I'm Canadian, so I'm this. Right. I've got friends who tell me I'm the most un-Canadian Canadian that there is because I am uh, far more of a challenging challenger personality type. I don't apologize when I don't need to apologize and all those things and all those things that kind of make up the kind of avatar of what it means to be a Canadian. And I mean, as a culture, sorry, the rest of the world, but I think Canada is a pretty tough place to beat because there's a reason why the immigrants that come to Canada feel so at home and very welcome. So you know, to that kind of that point. It's like, well, A, I've been living in New York City for enough time, I guess, where it's maybe added some rougher edges around me. But just the nature of the world that I operate in is, you know, there's a lot of high stakes risk stuff that I'm dealing with clients and customers. But in that field of play model, I talk about how your identity gets shaped. That's why I say whatever you associate yourself with is what you're going to be acting through. That's why for me, 
and why I became known as more like the quick change artist in the world of sport and kind of high level leadership and public figure world is because while everyone else is worried about the habit behavior level or the belief level, I go straight to the identity level because the moment I can change your identity and get you to associate yourself with a different self, all that other stuff takes care of itself. So I can come in on a Wednesday when a tennis player is playing at the U S open out in Flushing Meadows in New York here on a Saturday, and they might be struggling with something or they're just trying to find some sort of new breakthrough. I can make it happen in a very short period of time because identity is where it happens. And now I don't have to go through the months and months of changing your behavior because changing your behavior in there, there's a flaw, your behavior. Now I've got to go and try and unpack how are you defining yourself? I'd much rather just start from a clean slate and build a brand new identity for you, custom built to help you win on that field of play. And again, what's beautiful about this and Bruce, what I think you're alluding to as well and what, you know, I get pinged on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn every single day with a brand new comment and it's great and I love it. And to your point, it's because people say, thanks for putting meat and potatoes in a book. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for not only giving me the stories, but I feel like it just makes sense. Now I'm a farm and ranch kid. Like we talk all the time about that old dog won't hunt where there's a lot of ideas that get shared and you just look back and you go, well, that old dog won't hunt like that. just doesn't sound like it'll actually work. Perfect example, the authentic self. I was just going to ask you that. The one thing that you really talked about a lot in the other talk that we were at. Yeah. Yeah. Share your feelings about authentic self. Yeah. It's a trap. There's no such thing as the authentic self. It's an, it's actually impossible because there's no such thing as a self. We are, I mean, we have a body and then inside of this body, there are many selves. How do we know that to be true? Because we all know that we show up in different ways in many different contexts in our life, what I call fields of play or the roles that we play. You know, the challenger personality that's here talking to you and, and the listeners right now, it's because I am a challenger personality type because I feel like I am fighting against an organized system of self-help and personal development that has been misleading people for a very long time. And the reason, by the way, from a business model perspective is because most of these people don't want to go and do the hard work of getting their fingers dirty by working with people one-on-one. They want to try and stay at the leveraged level where they're working with groups or just sharing ideas. And so they end up just continuously pandering the same thoughts that were really churned out of, you know, other people that never did the work and then other people that never did the work. Like I care about practitioners. I love talking to people who are doing the work, you know, people like Brene Brown, someone who's actually done the work on courage and vulnerability and then, you know, daring greatly. Or Esther Perel, who's, you know, a famed therapist and she does amazing work. And then, of course, then the coaches of the world who are actually on the field with people. That's where the nuance sits with stuff. So I challenge, but I'm sort of fighting against that, you know, pervasiveness of just cotton candy ideas that are out there. And I love the fact that we get that feedback because I actually care. Like I love seeing people transform in an instant the moment they get reconnected. This isn't even a new idea. Get reconnected to an idea that they already used because everyone that's listening is already using alter ego. It's impossible for someone to try to argue with me that they haven't used it because we all used it when we were kids. Yeah, we did. That's right. And I know on the stage, you shared some very poignant moments with us when you Mm -hmm. said that as a kid, 
you were sexually abused. Yeah. You talked about that. How did that experience impact what you do today? How a powerful coach you are? Well, I mean, it ended up me going into the work that I did because, you know, that happened when I was 12 at a church camp, you know, two men singled me out over the course of a couple of days. And, you know, I had a very difficult experience then obviously because of that. And, you know, I immediately, when I came home from that experience on to the farm, I, you know, I, you know, you're filled with shame and guilt and, right. you know, anyone who knows anything about how and why people do what they do, shame and guilt drives a lot of people's behaviors as to maybe why they're not pursuing things because, you know, it's that classic, you know, we don't want people to find out something about us and, right, you know, right. and, and, and then anthropologically, the way that we, we work from our brain's perspective it's built into us that we, you know, survival means that we stay in the tribe. You know, if you ever kicked out of the tribe when you were, you know, 15,000 years ago, roaming the, the fields of Europe, then you were going to starve or get attacked and killed by something else. So, you know, that shame and guilt drives you. So I, when I came home, I attempted suicide at the age of 12, trying to drown myself. And, you know, that kind of created more recurrences later, but, you know, in between those bouts of, you know, deep, self-loathing and things like that, I got into the mental game because it was survival for me. I was trying to find any strategy and tool that I could possibly find in order to help me just get through the day even. But then there was that other side of me, that side that didn't get disconnected from, that wanted to pursue and had a strong desire to make some sort of impact in the world and do something great and big and all that. And, you know, luckily, thankfully, I, I never gave up on that side of me. And so in that process, I stayed really connected to my creative imagination because it was the space that I could go to to help me maybe operate in life with more playfulness. And, uh, and so I used alter egos to help me in football, help me get, you know, a lot of football scholarships, you know, a Canadian kid got a lot of scholarships into the States. Right. I was a nationally ranked badminton player as well as good athlete. And then, you know, afterwards, when I started working with athletes, you know, I was coaching at, at a high school, and I would spend more time working with them on their mental game, just saying, listen, you're already working hard. Doing more sprints and cone drills isn't going to change the result you're getting on the field. You know, you got to master this stuff between the ears. And right. I started giving them my strategies and that snowballed. And then basically I kind of fell ass backwards into a business all of a sudden because people, I was really good at connecting with people at a human level because, you know, probably of that experience that I had at a young age, some of it was I came from a great family that had a tremendous probably people skills. And, uh, but my compassion where I didn't treat everyone like they were a nail and I was a hammer, like, you know, I think a lot of people do with the trainings ended up helping me to sort of accelerate and, and become really well known in, in that space. Yeah, for sure. Were you ever bullied or were you a bully at any time in your, in your life? I wasn't a bully in that I was in the kind of the more typical sense, I would say that I would be an intellectual bully, maybe. I'm a debater type. And when you understand a debater type personality type, debaters actually are the, the real core of a debater is you're trying to, you're pursuing truth. You're trying to get to the truth of something. You're not debating right. for the sake of debating. But um, if, I was a, if I was a bully, I'd be, I'd kind of bully people on the really good with language kind of thing. Right. Not, not making them feel bad. But, um, was I bullied? Meh, I don't really, I mean, my older brothers and their, and their friends would, 
you know, pick on me or whatever, but I never really, I don't know. I, I kind of turned it into more of a game. I think like I was, I just, I loved being a pest to them. So, uh, you know, it's maybe what gave me, uh, some of my edge in some ways. Right. And, and, and definitely helped me with my, my Instagram. I was always a little bit of a runt. Like I'm not a physical specimen, but I became six feet and, you know, grew into like 192 pounds when I played football. But I, I was always very, very small until I got a, 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 you know, a growth spurt and I grew six inches in six weeks when I was going into grade nine. So I finally caught up to other people, but I wasn't really bullied. Right. Your book is found at altereggoeffect.com. I want to ask you five quick answer questions as we wrap up the interview. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? I would say Emily Fletcher, who's a good friend. She actually just came up with another book on, on meditation. She's my meditation coach here in New York City. She, she, would, be, she would be one. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, it's well, it definitely calms you down, calmed me down, definitely. Just being, owning that mental space, definitely. And tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Oh, connected to breath. It's one of the core strategies that we use with people. Here's one for you. Here's a sport where they have a operating heart rate of between 152 and 165 beats per minute. And then within eight seconds, they're laying on the ground or standing up with a, with a rifle in their hand and they've got to hit a target that's 50 yards away from them. And they're able to calm their heart rate down to 70 beats per minute within eight seconds. That's wow. what breathing can do for you. So that's why for me, I, that's my superpower. I've worked with over 68 different sports and I pull out little things from each of them and I codify them and bring them into the work that I do with people. So, you know, breathing, I mean, so powerful. Your book, The Alter Ego Effect is fantastic, but what other book would you recommend that somehow related to mindfulness? Another book on mindfulness that I would recommend, I would say The Collected Quotes of Bruce Lee. Okay. You talk about someone who was next level at owning their mental, emotional, and physical self. There are few people that I would be able to even compare him with. He was, uh, and just, and, and I, that's why I say his collected quotes, because they are, they're just powerful, phenomenal. And his ability to simplify was, uh, was truly next level. That's, that's a great recommendation. Can you share an app? which helps you to be more mindful? Yeah. I mean, Calm is a great app. I would say Headspace, the, uh, you know, there's lots of, lots of different, the Muse, the headset app, a friend of mine up in Canada is the founder of it. And it's a great way to almost turn sort of mindfulness and meditation into a, into a game for yourself. And, And I know, especially kind of the audience that you've got, you know, you've got, you know, achievers that are on there, you got ambitious people. And so, turning a new skill that you want to develop into a game is a powerful way to adopt the, at least the behavior and the habit. So Muse is a great place to start for people. It sure is. I highly recommend the Muse as well. So thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. And Todd, it has been absolutely awesome talking with you. The alteregoeffect.com. The book is terrific. Thank you for sharing your message with the world. It's, it's been terrific to have you on the show, Todd. Well, Bruce, you're an absolute champ. I love the way that you show up too. You're, you're a genuinely awesome guy and uh, you bring an energy to the world that uh, is deeply needed. So I appreciate that as well, man. Thank you very much. All the best to you. Cheers, buddy. Yep. Bye now. 
Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, this sleep naturally guided meditation that I have for you just for Mindful Tribe members. It's to help you receive the deep, easy sleep that you deserve. Sleep naturally and you'll be able to fall asleep easily, get more work done tomorrow and feel better about it. Rest comfortably without effort. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash sleep for your free download. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.